Chemotactic cytokines, known as chemokines, are small proteins that direct the movement of leukocytes to sites of inflammation or injury. An explosion of information about chemokines and their receptors has occurred in recent years. Our guest today will help us to understand what is happening in this exciting field. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Richard Ranzehoff, professor in the Departments of Molecular Medicine and Pathology at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine and director of the Neuroinflammation Research Center at Lerner Research Institute of the Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Ranzehoff is also an associate editor of the journal Neurology. Welcome to ReachMD. I'm delighted to be here. Now, Dr. Ranzehoff, exactly what is a chemokine and why should we care? It's a great question. Chemokines are small secreted proteins for the most part, which were discovered because they can act selectively on different types of leukocytes, white blood cells, and attract them into areas of inflammation. So if we think back to when the chemokines were first discovered, which was almost exactly 20 years ago, the only chemoattractants for leukocytes that were then known were things like the complement fragment C5A, which would equally attract neutrophils and monocytes. And we know that acute inflammation almost always features neutrophils, and chronic inflammation almost always features monocytes. And we also know that allergic inflammation almost always features eosinophils. Mm. So those are examples of selective types of inflammation. What was discovered very quickly after the observations about chemokines was that they are responsible for generating these selective types of inflammation. And therefore, if you can imagine ways to block chemokine action in a specific way, then you could imagine that you might be able to block, for example, allergic inflammation without blocking the ability of the immune system to fight off pathogens. Now, Dr. Anzahoff, how many chemokines are there? That's the exact perfect next question. There's about 50 different chemokines. 50? Yikes. And they, act, <laughs> and they act through about 20 different receptors. So the reason that chemokines help to generate specific types of inflammation is that, as an example, eosinophils carry one type or one group of chemokine receptor and respond to one group of chemokines. And neutrophils, for example, carry a completely different group of chemokine receptors and respond to different chemokines. I guess the next logical question is, in what diseases are these chemokines implicated? Chemokines are involved wherever you have inflammation or immunity. But what we worry about, I think, the most in our society are the chronic inflammatory diseases. And in many of these diseases, you have a situation where exactly the type of selective inflammation that I'm talking about has been observed. So we think about psoriasis, 
We think about rheumatoid arthritis. We think about inflammatory bowel disease. We think about multiple sclerosis. And we think about asthma, the major inflammatory problems of civilization as we now know it. So multi-organ system diseases. Not always. If you think, for example, of asthma, where the lung is selectively involved, or multiple sclerosis, Mm -hmm. where it's the brain or spinal cord, or most cases of inflammatory bowel disease, where it's very selective for even certain parts of the gut, these are extremely tantalizing targets for chemokine-directed treatments because of the many varieties of white cells, only a few are involved in each one of these diseases. Now, your work is focused mostly on multiple sclerosis. That's correct. What have you been doing? Well, we try to go after this type of question. How can we apply chemokine biology to the treatment of multiple sclerosis? We try to go after that in at least three different ways. The first is most difficult, most important, and that involves looking at the disease itself. So, for example, we will take blood cells and spinal fluid cells from individuals with MS and we'll study the chemokines in the fluid and study the chemokine receptors on the cells. And from that type of information, we try to derive clues about how certain cells get into the central nervous system and cause the damage in MS. I guess I should step back and say that MS is a disease of the human central nervous system. There's no precise animal correlate. It's a disease in which a specific tissue in the central nervous system, the myelin that wraps around nerve fibers, is injured. The cells that are involved are only a small subset of what's in the blood. They're mostly the T cells, the B cells, and the monocytes. And only the central nervous system is involved in multiple sclerosis. So every conceivable type of inflammatory blood test that you might do for diagnosis of lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or those sorts of diseases, those tests are all going to be negative in people with MS. So at the very heart of what we want to understand is the roles that chemokines play in the entry of those white cells into the nervous system where they carry out damage. So we study the cells from the spinal fluid, the cells from the blood. We have a special program at our institution where people who are dying with MS can elect to donate the brain and spinal cord Uh at the time of death. So we study brain tissue sections from people that died with MS. And we study the chemokines and chemokine receptors on the cells in those tissues. So that we're very, very focused on that specific question. All those sorts of studies are descriptive, meaning we can look, but we really can't do anything to intervene. In order to take the next step and try to prove causation, where we think that we have something that is meaningful, we use mouse models of neurologic inflammation And very often we use mice that are genetically altered so that they lack a specific chemokine or chemokine receptor. These are so-called knockout mice. Uh 
and we try to understand what role does that specific protein play in inflammation of the nervous system. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Richard Ranzahoff. We are discussing the latest on chemokines in MS. Dr. Ranzahoff, have any treatments for MS come out of your work? Not directly out of the chemokine biology as yet, but we got a very exciting, strong clue that we were headed in the right direction in the year 2005. And again, let me take just a quick step back and explain uh, why we felt that way. When a white blood cell makes a decision to leave the bloodstream, it relies on signaling from two different kinds of molecules. One is the chemokines and chemokine receptors, which are soluble molecules that float around and the chemokine floats around and signals to the receptor. And the other group of molecules are called adhesion molecules, and like the name implies, they sort of act like Velcro, and they stick a white cell, for example, to an endothelial cell lining a blood vessel so that that white cell can then leave the blood vessel and go into a tissue. So a monoclonal antibody was made against a specific adhesion molecule on the surface of T cells and monocytes. The monoclonal antibody had a target called alpha-4 integrin, and the antibody was called natalizumab, and it was used in clinical trials, and in 2005, it was reported that those clinical trials were extremely, extremely positive. In fact, gave what seemed to be the strongest positive results ever seen in an MS clinical trial, and that drug was very quickly brought onto the market for the treatment of MS. So it told us that by targeting leukocyte trafficking, we're looking in the right direction. But didn't natalizumab come to an untimely end? It did. It was taken off of the market due to safety concerns. And this is, I guess, a kind of a warning lesson for the process of drug development. So what happened was that natalizumab was tried in a group of people with MS, about 2,000 people and a group of people with inflammatory bowel disease, about 1,000 people. And out of those 3,000, three of them developed this disease that you mentioned before, progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy, or PML. And that's a terrible, deadly, unusual infection which occurs generally in people with an impaired immune system. Two of the individuals died. One recovered after the drug was stopped but was left with a considerable amount of neurological damage. So at that point, the minute that that information showed up, the manufacturer voluntarily suspended all distribution of the drug and all clinical trials and undertook a very thorough survey of all the rest of the people who had received the drug to see if there were any other cases of PML lurking out there. After they found that there were no such cases, there were no other cases of PML in that patient population, the drug was then returned to the market 
which occurred in September of 06. So it was off the market from, I believe, February of 06 through September. And it has now been re-released, but in a very restricted format where anybody receiving the drug has to sign up and be in a special surveillance program. They can only get it at certain centers from people that are highly expert in monitoring for PML. Well, thank you so much for sharing your work with us today. It's a great pleasure to talk with you. I enjoyed it. We've been talking with Dr. Richard Ranzahoff of the Cleveland Clinic about chemokines and the work he's doing in multiple sclerosis. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.